Chilly winds may blow. Chilly winds they come, they go. Chilly winds may blow. Oh, 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 oh. and I don't know. Chilly winds may blow. All right, welcome. This is episode number. Ben, tell me what number this is. I don't know. This might be 12. Wait, I think I'm thinking it's 12. We did a mini-ep. Right. It's 12. 12. Okay, 70 movies we saw in the 70s, but this is a special crossover edition with Crackpot Cinema. Wow. uh, This is the big crossover. (laughs) The big one with the big three. I am uh, two universes collide. Right. Oh my god! Remember in that who will survive and what will be left of us? All we do is crossover episodes. Quite it's honestly. true. Remember in the nineties, Aaron, where we would like find like those like bogus Freddy versus Jason scripts. There were we like a hundred of them. Yeah, but they were like they were always concerned with like you know what if the what this is like a, a, a crossover like this is like Spider Man meeting the Mask, and the best one of course yeah. was with the two detectives. Remember their names? Oh God! Was it like Carpenter and Hooper, or no, something no, it was like detectives, that? <laughs> it was Detective Reznor and Detective Cobain. Oh God! Oh, no, that's terrible. Where anyway, did you, uh, where did you find stupid. these scripts? Uh, we were in Hollywood. You, you know what? I'll tell you a big yeah. place. We I'll tell you a big place we'd find them. Hollywood Book and Poster. Yeah. On the the dearly departed Hollywood Book and Poster on Hollywood Boulevard. It blew my mind when I first got to L.A. because they would have this pile of crappy old screenplays that you could buy for like five ten bucks like each, five and that bucks was before yeah. the internet and the, the one that always blew my mind and i've googled this so many times i've never found anything about it was an unproduced pac-man the movie a oh. pac-man <laughs> movie script from like 1984 where pac-man went on david letterman which every wow. movie character did and uh oh. and at the end of the movie ate the united states nuclear arsenal <laughs> He saved the world from nukes, and he landed in the ghetto and befriended a young urban child. Wow, it was like an man. urban ET. Oh, and, and we so... were like, we, we were like such shit bums working at Hustle. We didn't have five bucks to buy that script back then. Yeah, so. we'd stand there and read it. At I, the read, I read yeah. Oliver Stone's Planet of the Apes script, which was awesome. Was oh, it? Oh my god! Yeah, it was great. Damn. Damn. But, uh, yeah, the damn. Corman Spider-Man script I yeah. got there, the yeah. Roger Corman Spider-Man movie. So let's where say he who also we are. went on David Letterman. <laughs> I'm uh, Mike McPadden. I wrote a couple of books, uh, Teen Movie Hell and uh, Heavy Metal Movies uh, uh, in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. I'm Ben Reiser, lead singer of Tracy Lord's Ex-Lovers, <laughs> co-writer, yes. co-writer along with Mike McPadden of the timeless classic that no one has ever heard called Petey Was a Pitbull. Which uh, no one ever will hear mm, now. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's hear a little. Say, let, let's hear a little. Petey just, just was give a the pitbull. <laughs> He was friends with Buckwheat. We're not going to sing the next line. And then it was uh, uh, Spanky taught him all of those tricks. He taught him how to sit and beg. And he taught him how to hump Alfalfa's leg. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it was like a folk rock you know, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were. You we know were, what? That slaps. That slaps. <laughs> 
Wow. I say things like that. Slash. I was going to say it's fire, but you kids. beat me. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, so that's Ben Reiser in uh, Wisconsin, in Los Angeles from the West Coast office. <laughs> that's you, Aaron. Aaron Lee. <laughs> that's me, Aaron Lee, co-host of Crackpot Cinema. That's right. That I'm crossing over from in one of the biggest, most explosive <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> They said it can't be done. dropped out at the last minute. Please help us. <laughs> and you the know, eruptions. Ever. Uh, Aaron uh, was part of uh, probably the last major uh, cultural crossover when uh, the Simpsons visited the family. Oh guy. yeah, and that's uh, right. That was yes. one of the few times yeah. I ever wanted to like, like kind of punch Aaron for grossing me out with a fan with Family Guy stuff. Oh, it was wow. what do you mean? How did it gross you out? It was, well, how did, how did it it was Homer out? and and Peter fighting, and it was so unnecessarily, grotesquely violent. I found it disturbing. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know that was. I think that was literally one of the first episodes I worked on there. I think that was like my first day. Was we're doing a crossover and and everybody pitching on it, and it was that was super fun. I was I'm watching The Simpsons with my ten year old daughter now. Wow. And I and I and I gotta say, what a joy. Yeah. And what a <laughs> what a desperate dire ripoff family guy. <laughs> like I watch it, I'm like, God, we stole everything every joke, every there's so many jokes we stole yeah. so directly. It's insane. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's like we, we, we don't we weren't there for Mad in the seventies. I mean in the fifties or, or Lampoon in the seventies, but we were there for the Simpsons in the nineties, so That's right. And that I always thought it was it was cracked. Family Guy was cracked to the, the mad. <laughs> you know. Or I, sick. Uh, or plop. <laughs> or fluts or ploop. Or cartoons. Or from sex to sexty. <laughs> but when it comes to crossovers, guys, I am so thrilled to be here on 70 movies we saw in the 70s. I want to tell you, podcast. okay, another time where you I actually an really did job. almost fly to L.A. and punch you in the face for a gross joke. Do you remember? Oh, wow. The I, I mean, know. not actually, but I was so... It's all I, coming out now. I was I was so nauseated. I called you up, but I said, I believe I said, I want to punch you over this. The episode okay. of Cleveland where Rollo can't stop picking his nose. Oh, that was my episode. Yes. yes. J Justin Timberlake was played the booger that came out of his yeah, nose. Yeah, I know. It was a delight. No, and he kept eating him. He kept yeah. eating the boogers. That really makes me want to throw up too. I don't find that funny. And I didn't. And it was my episode, but I did not approve. It was of that. one gag, like eating swear, boogers. So you know, gross. I, I gotta say, the only movie. Ben, did you ever see the French movie Inside? That horror movie from like two thousand seven. Yeah. yeah, with the pregnant like, woman. Yes, that's the closest a movie has ever come to making me throw up. Like, I felt like puke, like, right at the top of my throat toward the end of it. And I got to say, the only other media that <laughs> has ever two. done that was that episode where the old Chinese guy picks a long booger oh. out of his <laughs> Oh, so gross. Oh, and eats it. Yeah, well, what so does he disgusting. say? And what does he say? I don't, oh, chow fun or something? <laughs> yeah. he, says, ah, he goes, ah, chow fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, right now. <laughs> so uh, I deserve to be canceled. I, that is again not my joke. I did not approve. Mike, that's really gross. Yeah. Can you imagine if Aaron had been at purchase with us for uh, and, oh, little, and had, God, had written, had, had written, put some jokes into that Abner Costello me Tracy Lords yeah. thing that we no, did I on mean, the radio? Yeah, I don't think Aaron. You never. I never actually <laughs> played that for you, did I? The no. Peter no. Landau has that tape. As I've told you, this is the legend. This is by far the most offensive thing I was ever involved with. 
Abbott and Costello meet Tracy wow. Lords. I played Abbott, Mike Spring played Costello, and Ben played Mr. Fields. And Jill, yeah, the girl fantastic. from Mars, played uh, Tracy Lords. So Ah, Jill, the girl from and, Mars. And what happened? Yeah. What happened when they met her? Uh, she was Mr. Fields' niece. <laughs> and I'm not even going to go into it. But So they had to okay. babysit right. her, and she didn't well, this survive. Is a, this is a perfect episode to go into it with this <laughs> pretty right. maid's <laughs> Well, yeah. She didn't survive, and like, oh. I don't know, Abbott and Costello. We, me and Spring, Springo had a fight about whether or not Abbott and Costello should have sex. I insisted they had to. And uh, right. at the end, uh, Mr. Fields forces Costello at shotgun point to marry the corpse of Tracy Lords, and the Pope caters the wedding. <laughs> that sounds great. Funny? <laughs> and the Pope's, I remember the funny line. This was a Springo line. The Pope was like walking around with hors d'oeuvres. He said, can I, get you a, can I get you a child with AIDS on toast? <laughs> it was like 20 minutes of that. So Sure. Yeah. And shock, let's not get into the facts humor. of life. Go to Auschwitz. Is yeah. That, no. That all right. That was the very oh, first bit man. I ever wrote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Because I could do a perfect Mrs. Garrett and Springo could do a perfect uh, Bud Abbott. We had to use those all the time. So uh, Sure, yeah. All right. Uh, we're talking about Pretty Maids all in a row. Roger Vadim's 1971 film tonight. It's kind of a running Roger gag that every, every week we end our episode saying next week we're going to do two-minute warning and then we never do two-minute yeah, warning. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. But next week we are doing two-minute warning. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. Sure. Go ahead. Roger Vadim. Yeah, so uh, Roger Vadim. So Vadim. something we uh, should, I think, uh, import from Crackpot Cinema is our rating system. Oh, did you come up with oh, any? Oh man, uh, no, but I can. You guys go first. I'll, right. I'll come up with. I'll come up with one. I gotta tell you, I'll, I'm gonna jump in first. I had a real hard time with this. I don't All like. Right. I don't like the rhyme schemes of any of these people's names. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, I got, and these are all, I don't like any of these, but okay. Vadim or Vadim Wit or Vadim or Vadim Wit. All right. That's very good. good. Yeah. That's good. Um, put your rod in my berry or Dean's rod <laughs> should have been buried. All right. That's great. That's good. Uh, Roddenberry. Really good. And my last one, Roddenberry or Misogynberry. Wow. That's mm, good. Very good. That's good. That's, that's that, that, thoughtful. Those, are, those, yeah. are, those were rough. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, what about They're you? They're funny as hell. You must uh, have some shit. All right, I got Rock Hudson or Sucks Mud, son. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Vadim or Vadum. Okay, that's that's. Uh, and then finally, in, a throwback to our our WPUR humor. <laughs> Pretty maids or shitty aids. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, <laughs> I was really, really I was really trying to come up with a, a rhyme you, for maids, but I didn't go to I didn't go to aids, man. Yeah, you did, the only the two I came up with in the spot you just took. I had pretty or shitty or yeah. and Vadim or Vadump. <laughs> so but you went Vadum. <laughs> so. Vadim or Vadump is pretty good. Okay, Vadim. What do we Vadump. think? What yeah. do we think, everybody? Vadim or we Vadump. Always, we always go with the with the guest. Yeah. All right. So, okay, Vadim right. for a good movie. Vadump yes. for a shitty movie. Just to make sure everyone can follow All my right. logic. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Let's just give our ratings now. I say Vadim. Oh, I mean, not, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely Vadim. Oh my God, 
Um, I might have said the dump, but I also watched Barbarella this week, so I'll I'll say Vadim, <laughs> yeah. but just in, cur- in context, you... in the context of Vadim, B- yeah. because Barbarella was a bigger Vadump yeah. than you felt this was. Yes. Wow. No kidding. Okay. I decided. I, I, I got. We got to get into that. Well, too. I'll say. I'll tell you right now. I decided that Barbarella should never be watched with the with the sound on. It should only. You should only see Barbarella on the. Um, the video screen at the Ritz in New York City, circa oh, yeah. 1984, <laughs> yeah, that they right. used to have while all the bands right. were setting up. And so they'd run these, right. they, the DJ would be playing whatever the fuck, and then they'd run like film clips on this video screen. And Barbarella looked great, you know, while you're listening to Bauhaus or some shit. Um, you know what they would also play uh, a lot? That he, We Care A Lot by Faith No More. Yes. I always oh, yes. heard that song. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> You know what? The only thing I'll say is the only thing you miss by keeping the sound off is the fucking awesome Barbarella soundtrack, oh, which cool. I love. What's it called? The Is it the Terry Crews generation? It's not Terry Crews. <laughs> Who did the music for that? Bob, yeah, Bob Crews. It's a crazy yeah, name. Yeah, but anyways, that soundtrack kicks ass. So so if how about the music-only soundtrack, if you can have that? You can take all the dialogue sure. out. that's fine. I'll go for that. Yeah, so it should just yeah. be a, a music video. There yeah. we have it. Sure, yeah. So, all right, I have some general notes here. Um, you know, I said I sent out an email because I'm tired of listening to myself say, so, uh, so, uh, then they go into the classroom and uh, when we walk through the movie. So we'll try a little something different here. I took uh, a shot at writing the first two or three uh, synopsis scenes for you. Oh, so we right. can get to that later. Uh, if we, yeah, we'll, if we we'll run, run out of shit there. to say, I can jump on that. Yeah. I just thought I'd I'd channel my inner McPadden. But go ahead. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Pretty Maze was developed as a uh, star vehicle for Joe Namath, which makes perfect sense. Oh. Yeah. And uh, I'm a fan of uh, CC and Company. Have you guys ever seen that movie? The biker movie with Anne Margaret? You know, I have not, and I got the fantastic, uh, there's a great series of trailer compilations called Trailer Trauma that are just brilliant. I was going to say, I've seen uh, the trailer, yeah. Yeah, part five just came out, and it's all devoted to '70s action, and it, it is it might and it might be the best of all these. All the rest of them have been horror themed, but it's just great. And I loved that CC and Company trailer with the great Mitch Ryder, CC Ryder. Yeah. Or wait, is that Mitch Ryder doing it? Yeah, it is, right? Yeah. I, well, it's CC. Sure. But anyways, Ryder, it kicks ass. Yeah. It, oh God, it was, it's a, it's a it, really like, good movie. It, He's great movie. in it. Yeah. And um, I saw it on Channel Eleven when I was a kid and really loved it. An amazing opening scene of him just walking around a supermarket, just making food for himself, like making sandwiches and eating chips and drinking beer, just leaving it everywhere. And not, you know, and then just (laughs) walks out at the end. Yeah. What a pig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's uh, that's the and that's hero. supposed to make you like him. Yeah, he's yeah. the hero. That's yeah, right. That's the right. Hero. He's the hero. Do you know uh, why? Do you know what uh, the circumstances were that led to him not being in Pretty Maids all in a row, Mike? I don't actually. His, uh, I do actually. His penis exploded from too much <laughs> fucking. <laughs> Joe Namath was constantly getting like it. Up. Chuck Negron. <laughs> That's right. You know, what a bullet they dodged, in my opinion, because you got Rock Hudson, who's so fantastic in this movie. I mean, I thought he was just amazing. I mean, we can't say enough you, about him, and we will. Oh, uh, my God. We will say too much not, about him in a minute. I'm glad Namath, I'm glad Namath bowed out. Yeah, I agree. I, I have to agree, because it, 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 it there, there's something just so, uh, like, superhuman holding it together, and it's Rock Hudson at the middle of this. So. Yeah. 
named by Quentin Tarantino as one of the 10 greatest films ever made in this 2012 sight and sound poll was the uh, subject of a nine-page spread in the April 1971 issue of Playboy with an article written by Roger Vadim. And uh, I have to say... Did, of, you, did you see that? Did you see the pictorial? Yeah, I saw some of it, yeah. And, and it's the actual, the pretty maids, as they call them. It's which all the, the ladies in the yeah. movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. By the way, when you look up Roger Vadim, his Wikipedia describes him first and foremost as a screenwriter. Which yeah. I, I find interesting because I, I always yeah. thought of him much more as a director. And Very much. Of course, yeah. he didn't write the screenplay for Pretty Maids, but. No. I wonder if Vadim did that. I wonder if he got up at 3 a.m. one night. He might have. Went yeah. into Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Changed his pay. So, uh, this was Vadim's first American film, and it was not his last. He made a movie oh, in 1980. <laughs> Called Night, I, I, Night got, Games. Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's the one I remember. Night Jeez. Games, which is this absolutely horrendous attempt at erotica. Uh, try to make a, a, a sex star like, like Fonda and Bardot, as he had done in the past, out of Cindy Pickett, whose next, best, uh, next most famous role was playing Ferris Bueller's mom in 1986. Oh. What's the name of that Roy Scheider baseball movie you were going to do? Night Isn't Games. That Night Games? Yeah. And what's this one? This is also Night. No, that oh, one, okay. I'm sorry, is Night Game. This night one is game. Night oh, Games, okay. gotcha. plural. Yes. Okay. Uh, the Hot Touch from 1981, which I had never heard of. It's a Canadian tax shelter comedy with Wayne Rogers, Marie-France Pizier from Cousin Cousine, mm. which you want to talk about a 70s phenomenon that mm-hmm. has evaporated, which we often do. God. How yeah. present was that movie when we were kids? That was just always around. Yeah. And yes. Then they well, well they killed it with the it. American remake. Anytime they oh, that's make right. an American Cousins. remake, that kills that's the whole right. thing. That's right. With uh, Ted oh, Danson. Oh my god. And um, right. Ted Isabella Danson Rossellini. And Isabella Rossellini. That was like an wow. HBO. Like it was on like in the middle of winter, and you couldn't go outside. And I ended up watching it six <laughs> times. Oh. Uh, Pat. And also we'll start with Patrick McNee and Melvin Douglas in his last film. Oh, it's a caper comedy. Did you make it through the whole thing? Watch the whole thing? You remember? Uh, of uh, co- of cousins? cousins? No. Yeah. No, I never sat and no. watched it all straight through. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, <laughs> And God Created Woman, the 1988 remake of That's sorts. That's the one. Well, it's oh, not man. a remake. I watched the I watched uh, the, the two Vadim movies I watched in addition to Pretty Maids this week to sort of get my Vadim on were um, the original in God Created Woman uh, with Brigitte Bardot and Barbarella. Uh, But but apparently the, um, what's her name? Who does the 88? Rebecca De Mornay. Yeah, the De Mornay one is a completely different plot than, it's not a remake. She's a rock singer. Yeah, Yeah. she's in a band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she rocks. Well, she's on the run or something. She's gets involved. She's in prison at the beginning of this movie. Yeah, we got to watch that. That's yeah. a must. That's got. <laughs> yeah, happen. that to me that was like uh, that was such a staple rental with like crimes of passion. Like, like yeah. I, for like what? I, uh, Why would you rent those in particular? Lots of nudity. Tons and tons <laughs> of nudity. Tons of nudity. And yeah. thinking and and I gotta say like and I do remember like. Feeling like and God created woman didn't really deliver. Crimes of passion certainly did. That was a shocking amount of 
sex and nudity and stuff. But I don't really. Because I, 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 I remember, I remember being like slightly let down by Crimes of Passion on that front. I liked you it know, as a weird I I movie, just, but I, I yes, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah. But but I got the unrated VHS. I remember that, yeah. which had more right. stuff. In okay, it, remember, yeah, I've suffered. But in Gone from Black. Woman, I remember. Now yeah. this, I just remember there was a lot of band scenes. Uh, this chump Roger Greenspun, who who talked shit about Ruth Gordon in his um, Where's Papa review the year before yeah. in the New York Times, Whoa. he gave a great review to uh, Pretty Maids All in a Row. But uh, the first paragraph is all about Vadim, and he says, at least in the popular imagination, the French director Roger Vadim has generally been envied for his marriages more than he has been admired for his movies. But if you recall the achievements in movies, not marriages, with No Son in Venice, Dangerous Acquaintances, which I think must be Dangerous Liaisons, um, yeah. Blood and Roses, Circle of Love, Barbarella, etc. You will discover more good than bad. Now, I've never seen any of those movies other than Barbarella. <laughs> no, I've never heard of it. No. Yeah. I always, well, Blood and Roses I've heard of because that was in every horror book. And oh, I think that yes. Was in the yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the lesbian vampire movie. Yes, yeah, but that's I, right. I never yeah. saw it. Yeah. But I never heard of any of the rest of them, no. And I think the only other uh, Vadim movie I ever saw was Don Juan. 73 aka Don Juan was a woman or if Don Juan okay. was a woman with Bridget Bardot and Jane Birkin mm. which I went to I see as a midnight to... movie like in the early 2000s I think yeah. I always wanted to read Vadim's book it's supposed to be really good and gossipy yeah. I've, I've read anecdotes from it but uh, he, he's kind of like the classy Jess Franco isn't he what yeah very much yeah I would say yeah. very much yeah like so, many other people in this movie, Roger Vadim, uh, that's not his real name. Well, that's part of his name, but he has a whole last name that he didn't use. A Russian uh, oh. something or other. Okay, I'll tell you right now. Uh, I can't even pronounce it. P-L-E-M-I-A-N-N-I-K-O-V. Plemyanikov. Wow. Roger Vadim Plemyanikov. <laughs> Damn. Man. Wow, I wonder if Gene Roddenberry has a long name, a longer name than Roddenberry that he, he does. Dropped. <laughs> I'll give you that in a minute, but keep talking. All right, so let's talk about Roddenberry. <laughs> this is his only non-Star Trek feature film screenwriting credit, and we should say this is based on a novel, a 1968 novel by uh, God. I lost his name. Francis some Italian sounding motherfucker. Pol yeah, yeah. Polini or some shit like oh, that. I think, yeah, and uh, he had been uh, sort of a literary sensation uh, with his first book, Night, and then had another book that was, I, I lost my notes on it. Glover, anyway. Grover, Glover. Glover was Glover. it. Glover yeah. was a bestseller right around the time when Pretty Maids All in a Row, the movie, came out. So. Okay, Gene Roddenberry's full name, Eugene Wesley Roddenberry. But even more than that, Gene Roddenberry got himself associated with women with the craziest names. All the, all the women he either married or was having sex with while he was married, they all have these names I've never heard before. You know, what, what's that guy? What's that? Majel Barrett. Barrett. Yeah, Majel Barrett. Majel. Nichelle. Uh, what's her name? Uhura's oh, yeah. Name? Nichelle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was one more crazy name. Oh, well, the, his first wife, was, her name was Eileen Anita Rexrote. So it was a weird last name. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. And he was a, he was a real player. Or, or, uh, he was a regular yeah, Captain was, Kirk was, in that regard. Yes. Yeah, yeah running around. Hollywood yeah. was his Not, uh, final frontier. 
not unlike uh, Rock Hudson in this movie. That's right. <laughs> and and yeah. Rock Hudson, uh, but, you know, different. Uh, also in but, Hollywood. But there is... Yeah. Well, yeah, but but there is the weird, um, there is kind of the weird metaphor of this movie with Gene Roddenberry of of Roddenberry being the Star Trek liberal lofty yeah. values guy who's running around just being a scumbag horn dog. Yeah, that that the movie does seem to be some weird confessional commentary on. That's interesting. Yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, I have a good quote from. So the first girl who gets naked, the, the like with the the nerdy girl, uh, she says her name is Adriana Bentley, and at a, at the premiere she told an interviewer, "I'm the only one who wasn't cast by Vadim. Mr. Roddenberry picked me himself." So there's a little nugget for That's you. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just have to quickly share one of my favorite Family Guy jokes that Please. I can say I wrote was in an episode when you were talking about Rock Hudson's side of Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, it was an episode where Peter got trapped in an elevator with God, and he got to ask God every question he ever wondered. And he said, like, uh, and so one of the questions Peter says, like, what was I someone in a previous life? And, and God says, yes, you were Henry the eighth. And Peter goes, wow. And he goes, let me finish. You were Henry the eighth guy to have sex with rock Hudson at his pool party. <laughs> and what's and extra, Peter went, Oh, what's extra great about that joke is that I knew, and I don't know for a fact, but I imagine it was a reference to the TV movie about Rock Hudson where they showed, like, his fabulous pool parties. Where he'd be, like, working oh, the grill God. and looking at all the boys in the pool and stuff. So. <laughs> sure. So, uh... Oh, Rock. Well, let's talk about Rock. Um, oh, let's get... Here's a quote from Gene about uh, why he wrote this movie. Censorships and restrictions in TV got so horrendous. Film is... To explore things, talk about them, joke about them. Sometimes it offends people. But if you never made a film that didn't offend somebody, yeah. it would be a pretty sorry industry. And his yeah, ultimate here, point... Here I was, working in television, trying to show 16-year-old naked women being murdered. <laughs> and uh, they were like, no, you can't... I was like, God, this industry's uptight. Man. And his final, his ultimate reason for doing this, we make too much of sex. Yeah. Yeah, I read that quote. I get, and I guess, but it seems more like he's saying we make too much of killing our young women after we have sex with them. Like, what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah. You know, nobody gets a comeuppance I, in this goddamn movie. No, <laughs> nobody no. gives no, a shit. And I really, I really thought about that quote that we make too much of sex because there is. I mean, and we'll talk about the movie. It's going, but there is a weird. I was surprised watching it. There is kind of a melancholy to it. For sure. Like, like yeah. a lot of the farce that like that would typically be farcical, like especially with Angie Dickinson's character, is kind of sad. Like yeah. uh, they, they these people really seem trapped in their compulsions, and and it is broad and played for black humor. But by the end, it there was something sad about it. Right. So. Yeah, it it is an interesting whatever that whatever was going on with Gene, he was uh, yeah. he was conveying some heavy shit. Right, and here's where I realized that we should always walk through the movie, and I fucked up by not doing it because <laughs> well, I we can have get to kind of the first three or four scenes. We have to kind of give the plot. We have to kind yeah. of talk about the plot before we get into the details here. So well, let's do it. Pretty Maids All in a Row go. takes place at what I imagine is a Southern California high school. You know, the very picture of. Wholesome, but bursting with sex, uh, adolescence, 
uh, where all the girls look like Playboy models. The guys are all jocks. Uh, the teachers are Rock Hudson and Angie Dickinson. So they're their own kind of like sex deities. And um, both of them never looking better, in my opinion. Astounding. The best yeah. rock look, the mustache, yeah. the hair, the, the more middle aged thing. He looks fantastic. And she looks amazing. She yeah. looks the best she ever did, I think. So. Uh, honestly, this whole movie is Angie Dickinson for me. Like, I don't care about any oh, of the rest of it. She kills me. Yeah. Unbelievable. She's great. So some, uh, yeah. a, a uh, and in the midst of this is this kid, uh, Ponce. Ugh. <laughs> John David Carson as Ponce de la Harper, Ponce de, Ponce de Leon Harper. Uh, so his name suggests the fountain of youth with Ponce de Leon. And then it occurred to me he had to, you know, he had to go by John David Carson uh, to. Uh, oh yeah, to not be not be confused with Johnny John Carson. Carson, right? So mm-hmm. he um, he, I feel like. Uh, maybe when they were when Paul Thomas Anderson was trying to get Mark Wahlberg to understand what he was supposed to be doing in Boogie Nights, all he did was show him this movie. I mean, uh, that Ponce that Ponce character is exactly Eddie Adams or Dirk Diggler, whatever the fuck name That's Mark really Wahlberg true. has. Yeah, been. yeah. But he, but but on the other hand, his physique. He sometimes there's this one scene where he's like sort of. Um, He's on the field with all the football players, and he's kind of like directing them in some exercises. And his he looks like Charles Martin Smith from behind. He sure. looks like yeah. a n- yeah. little mm-hmm. fucking nebbish. And John David <laughs> Carson, he eventually, if you look at his pictures of like him in his later career, because he en- ended up working for a long time, he eventually became good looking. But here, I feel like he looks like one of those babies that's in a jar of formaldehyde. <laughs> <laughs> he looks unformed. There's something weird and bulbous about his head. Well, and his I mean, and, and and... when you say that, that's interesting because that's the, the essence of his characters. He's unformed at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, he can and by the talk. end, he's he can't talk. Fully formed, and right. you know, and he comes into the movie. He was riding his bicycle, and and he he's this nerd on the campus, and you know, he's completely overwhelmed by the females all around him, and the movie does not so much comment on the idea of the male gaze as it does embody it, particularly with the quick cuts, which I just thought, you know, that's how I felt, you know, right or wrong. And so we get to keep working. I'll, I'll let me proclaim it was wrong. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's that's how I approached life in in high school and, and, you know, for way too long afterwards. But it was just like an endless series of body parts for me to just set my eyes on to get a jolt, 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 jolt. So I thought that was really, uh, you know, mm. I don't know if it was if it was conscious filmmaking or not, but it it powerfully put oh. me in there. Oh, I think it was very conscious. I mean, yeah, like all the editing yeah. uh, between yeah. the girls' body parts, right? And his, because it really was like jolt, 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 and that's that was how I approached a room full of girls. Especially, I went to a fucking all boys high school, so I wasn't in a room full of girls at all. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, but I, you're I mean, right. He, every he on that on that opening credit to the to the tune of the Osmonds uh, yeah. bike ride. He everything he sees is either uh, female body parts or couples making out. There's all these public displays of affection, that he's which he's denied, into. and he's right. completely powerless against that. Uh, he, you know, he can't be part of that. He just he's just going to try and drink it all in and get overwhelmed by it. And it, and I think it is very conscious commentary, and it is that kind of thing you could do in the 70s that you can't do now, which is the whole movie is all 
commentary on misogyny while yeah. also being genuinely right. misogynistic. But that's, it, you know, it almost reminded me more of like Paul Verhoeven stuff or yeah. something like yeah. that. Oh, yeah, know? yeah, like, yeah. Where it's going to be a complete satire of this while also embodying it and delivering right. it, you, you know. Yeah. And it's interesting you say Verhoeven because... I kept thinking it doesn't. The pretty maze does it doesn't exactly feel French, but it definitely feels like a foreigner, like chronicling and trying to communicate the weirdness of America, and in particular the weird tribal rights of an American high school. Well, you know, by the way, also that bozo Roger Greenspun's uh, goes out of his way to say that that this is another that pretty maids all in a row is another. And this is 1971. Is another example of American high school gothic. Now, was this a genre? American high school gothic. I, what I other can't... examples of this are there? Lord Love a Duck is uh-huh. about murder. Yeah, right. It's not gothic. Uh, what other American high what? school movies are there at that point? Uh, that's, you I mean, know, there's a lot of all people who should movies. who should not be tongue tied. <laughs> it should be me. I'm going to have to look sort of, it, look I that mean, typical yeah. when it's not being this sort of murder mystery, yeah. it is sort of this prototypical high school well, absolutely. teenage yeah. movie. And it's pre-American graffiti. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, yeah, I'm trying to think of what the other, that, that's interesting. I, yeah, I don't know what American high school gothic would be then. Yeah. yeah. No, now my, my mind is, is spinning here. Yeah. Well, this movie this starts after, after the credits, it starts with a joke about pronouncing the word Smith. Because Angie Dickinson, her 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 character's name is Smith, and she writes it on the blackboard, and one of the kids yells, "How do you pronounce that?" And then like everyone in the class is howling with laughter for like five minutes. It's so strange how funny everyone in that. It's such a weird way to start the dialogue of the movie over this dumb Smith joke. But um, <laughs> but then what's his name immediately yeah. gets a boner because uh, Ponce gets a boner because Dickinson literally shoves her breast in his eye. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, like you know, the true, the true, like you know, three or four times in the movie that she does. You'll take an eye out with those things, joke. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah, and and by the way, and speaking of like when we talk about the for me, I forgot the level of I hadn't seen this in I don't know 20, 30 years. I forgot the level of nudity in the movie. It really surprised me. It did like it, in, it, a, took me aback too i was like yeah. wow yeah this is really end to end. Yeah. i mean yeah it really it, it really is so. and i was thrilled about how much of that nudity is angie dickinson uh you get to I see by that. you get to see more of her than you shocked. get to see of her body double in uh in in, in uh, yeah, uh dress to kill dress to kill yeah there's that one scene yeah. where she's just laying in bed with ponce and uh she's and he's like yeah. he's got his hand all over her ass yeah, I was really surprised. Yeah. yeah, she went for it. It was something. You know what? Roger Vadim, he had yeah. that French charm. What he is did. the big deal? Leon the bed. <laughs> Come on, police woman. I mean, I will say that he, the movies that I've watched of his, he does take a woman and put her at the center of the film, and it becomes her, you know, I, I think that Angie Dick, I know you guys think that Rod Rock Hudson carries his film, and, you know, he's great, and, but, but, yeah, oh my uh, God. you know, I think, I think Angie Dickinson is almost as equal as far as screen time and, and her, her plot, but, but also the, only, yeah. really the good, the thing that saves Barbarella from being a complete nightmare is Jane Fonda's committed right. performance. Like, you, you know, mm-hmm. as terrible as the special effects are, as wooden as the dialogue and the other performance, 
performances are and as static as it is i think because of the fact that they didn't have any money to make any real special effects so they just stick the camera in this one spot and let people talk for 20 minutes at a time but she you believe her through the whole thing and and again and in god created woman bridget bardot is is, is fantastic and the movie's all about her so he did make these movies where the where females are the central yeah. character which i don't think was typical and certainly that's true of the one other movie I saw. The Don Juan was a woman movie with Bridget <laughs> yeah. Bardot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, Ponce uh, steps into the bathroom and he finds a dead body. One of the uh, girls, one of his classmates has been murdered in the bathroom. And that sets off this murder mystery. And someone and is... And all those were gruesome too. Gruesome shots of the girl's uh, life. Oh, it was <laughs> awful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was bloody. This, yeah, yeah, it was terrible. And then yeah. uh, Telly Savalas and uh, Jimmy Doohan oh. come in. We even talked about how hard Telly Savalas rocks, too. <laughs> He's God amazing. Damn, He's I so love good. that guy walking around. The, the only other movie I love him in as much as this is uh, the Mario Bava movie, Lisa and the Lisa Devil. Lisa and the Devil, and, yeah. Which, but but it's, it's amazing to me how he just walked through everything he did the exact same way. Yeah. Like, he's just always like Telly, always kind of bemused, yeah. you know, not really giving a shit. Very, very um... And this but, is a couple boy, of years it's... before Kojak, so he's giving you his complete Kojak character. Yeah, but Kojak is earlier. formed yeah. here, yeah. And, and well, it's yeah, interesting to note yeah. that, yeah, shortly, immediately after he finished filming this, uh, Rock Hudson began McMillan and Wife... And then Kojak right. was 73, and then uh, Police Woman with Angie Dickinson was in 74. So yeah, they all I went think to he cop even, school. I think, I think it's Lisa and the Devil. I think I'm correct about that, that he's even got the lollipop going. So so he was basically doing Kojak shtick the whole time, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, and here, he, yeah. here his bit great. of business is, is smoking. Like, he is, he's got a cigarette yeah. in every single scene, and he's making the most out of it in every Well, you know, that's scene. why Kojak sucked on the lollipops. He was trying to quit smoking. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, something that occurred to me watching Telly Savalas in this movie, he reminded me a lot. And I never thought of this before of John Lurie, especially in um, oh, uh, Strangers in Paradise. Like there's right. something about his voice. Right. And also just sort of the his mannerisms. I was like, oh, they, this right. is, John Lurie got a lot of his shit from Telly Savalas. Telly Savalas, another person whose name is really Aristotle or some shit like that. Yeah, it's Aristotle Savalas. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, so, and I mean, and he's he is just great. And uh, so him and him and Jimmy Doohan from Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek, who, even though I knew it was James Doohan, I kept thinking it was Richard Dawson for a minute. He looks just like Richard Dawson in the movie. I want to I want to cop to something right now. It wasn't until yeah. I watched this movie um, uh, this time that I that it dawned on me that that his Scotty accent is it's just a put on voice. I yeah. Thought, I yeah. thought James oh, Doohan Canadian. that must have been shocking. Damn. It was. It really that, was. That must have been really shocking for you. Yeah. That fucker is Canadian actually. Yeah. Yeah. God. And, what a uh, scam he ran. <laughs> so they yes. come in to uh solve the crimes and it turns and uh so along the way, it turns out that Rock Ooh. Hudson, who is the football coach, and he's sort of like, is he like the school psychiatrist? I think he's the guidance yeah. counselor. Well, he's he seems like more counselor. than a guidance counselor. He's yeah. like the school yeah, because psychologist he's doing psychological testing yeah. all the yeah. time. He's got the testing right. light so you don't go into his office where he's sleeping with everyone. And when you say testing light, it's a big red neon, <laughs> the words <laughs> Literally testing, testing. Yeah. in red neon. It's hilarious. It's great. Yeah. And he turns that on. 
And, um, and that's the equivalent of the sock on the doorknob. For exactly. Yes. And yeah. he sleeps with uh, every female on the campus. And, um, you know, it's not a surprise that he is the killer. He's also married to uh, the incredibly beautiful um, Barbara Lee, who had been in the Student Nurses and the Christian Licorice Store, which is a movie I, I keep meaning to see. Uh, and there was in Terminal Island, and the president's plane is missing. She is and, so great in Terminal yeah. Island and Student Nurses. Yeah. She's yeah. the best. She has not yeah. much to do in this movie, sadly. No. Yeah. You know, when she and Rock's kid were introduced, I got a creepy, uh, I was reminded in a creepy way of a movie featuring, starring one of your previous guests, Pat Healy, uh, Compliance. Oh, God, The, yeah. the reveal yeah. of of Pat at the end with his wife and kid. I, like, yeah. I, I, I flashed back to that in the creepiest way when, when you saw Rock <laughs> yeah. was married. But one of the know, most stomach-churning endings to a movie ever, oh, I thought. Like, God, really, that, that, really is, that is a genuinely traumatic film. We Oh showed, my God! Yes, we showed yeah. that film uh, at the Wisconsin Film Festival. The year it was released. Um, I think it was probably one of the first screenings, and Pat Healy was in attendance. Uh, but it was the only time I've been in a movie theater where people in the middle of the movie literally got up and started yelling at the screen wow. and stormed out. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen that once. It was <laughs> that happened once to me. I was so excited. I saw a preview of D. Snyder's Strangeland. Mm. I don't know if you've oh, ever seen yeah. that. The proto-torture porn movie that D. wrote and starred in as Captain Howdy. And uh, it was a little screening room on in Manhattan. And um, he uh, so about halfway through the movie, Captain Howdy sews this girl's lips together and she tries to scream. But her mouth, like, like the skin rips off. It's really gross. It's pretty awesome. And this one woman just stood up and said, that's it. And stormed to the door and just turned to us and said, great movie, guys. And I was like, I finally saw it happen. So then uh, a few years ago. Wait, Mike. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, after a few years ago, Heavy Metal Movies came out. D was doing a book sign or a record signing here. So I came to give him a copy of it and to share that story with him. And he goes, you were there. You were there. He was like, oh, we knew we great. had a hit. We knew we had a hit. And, oh, uh, it was totally great. Yeah. Were you were you in Santa Monica with me, Mike, when I went to see the Christopher Lambert movie, The Hunted? I, oh, the oh yes, yeah. They, we had a street loony lose his shit in the movie. In the he, yeah. There's a very it's it's not the greatest movie, but there's an incredibly yeah. tense, amazing scene on a yeah. train where isn't it like ninjas? A ninja comes in and butchers everyone in the train trying to get Christopher Lambert. I can't remember. And the scene got yeah. so tense, and there was a guy in the front row with all his shopping bags and stuff. Yeah. Who just lost his shit? Remember, yeah. just started yeah. screaming and melting down and yeah. had to be carried out. No, it was like that the full Forty was... Second Street freak out. Yeah, and I mean, I yeah. think they brought the police in to take care of that. Guy. Yes, yeah. but yeah. it was it was really impressive because I was like, man, this is a tense scene, and that yeah. guy was just like, fuck, fuck <laughs> yeah. it, fuck this, had to be carried out. Yeah, but yeah, that's can, fun to see. Can I ask you uh, both a question? So it's so Please. Rock Hudson turns out to be the killer, but I guess. I don't understand what's going. What is he leaving? Is he staging those bodies and leaving those stupid notes on their person as a way of of throwing people off of his scent? He's tra what's his what's his game plan? What's his end game with all this? Well, this or is, is where he really a sociopath, and those notes are coming from his heart. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> 
this is where I couldn't quite understand why he was killing the girls at all. And I don't think the movie does a great job of explaining that. Well, it implies with one well, of them that she was going to go public with... Yeah. with yeah. No, I no, I think there's almost always... I think with most of the murders, there's almost always a moment that he goes, oh, she knows now, and I will now cover it up with the right. murder. Right, But But that she's... Or, or not, not even necessarily that she knows I'm the killer, but she knows I was also having sex with that girl who showed right. up dead. That, that, so you always get that. But I really... I thought it was, yes, he is a full-blown psychopath. I, I thought it was that he is, uh, that it is full-on kind of uh, Zodiac killer, uh, you know, taunting. That's part of the game. And I thought, it, I thought it was supposed to be just like pure pathology, you know? Right, which and makes then, the ending of the movie that much more insane and like, what the fuck? Like that. It's fucking insane. That's yeah, what I was yeah. saying about the dark. Like, it's really dark. It's really, well, not to jump to the ending, but yes, he. it, it really is about well, we these can people jump to the ending trapped in. We're not walking through and we could just go back. Well, sure. I mean, Ponce could easily tell everyone what happened, but he doesn't. He sort of right. keeps the secret for so some fucking So we should say reason. Rock takes Ponce under his under his wing. He uh, he sees this kid who's crippled by boners. He tells uh, <laughs> Angie Dickinson the kid can't get a boner. So she uh, offers him therapy the way teachers in the 70s, well, te- the way teachers still get arrested for all the time. <laughs> yeah. Which I learned from working at Crime Feet. Um, and uh, at, by the end, there's sort of the transmigration where uh you know the the student has become the master and Ponce who entered the movie so powerless on his bicycle is just the strutting cock of the walk at the end just uh completely charismatic you know, magnetic to all the women and you know just literally saying your place or mine to them <laughs> and, and and let me ask you and and this is after by the way um Rock Hudson has faked his death and yes. escaped to Brazil and yeah. you know all this stuff you're, you're finding out. But and and what did and, and while we're talking about like the pathology of these characters, so yeah, I really had a hard time entirely telling what was the commentary on Ponce. Like the, the like one version is oh that's dark and he's he's just a kind of sexual predator now too and maybe he'll even be a killer. But that's not entirely the tone. The way it's presented is not entirely dark. I thought there was a little bit of an element of like, no, this is a real coming of age for him. And he has matured into kind of a real man now. Like, like I, I didn't think it was necessarily saying this is an evil thing that's happened to Ponce. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, it's true. I couldn't tell what the attitude of the film was entirely. I, I couldn't like, either. How are you supposed to take that? Right. Yeah, I couldn't either. I was just so mad at him for like keeping Hudson's secret at the end. And then also, uh, uh, Rock Hudson's wife. What's her deal? Like she's about to fly off to Brazil with him, and, and but yeah. she's at his funeral. So, she's, what's her fucking role in this whole thing? Yeah, she's she's in on it, and 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 the one kind of pure character you find out is Telly, who's who I was gonna go chase him down in Brazil, which which I loved, but. Uh, but yeah, the, the yeah the characters are the characters are weird. Like I said, like the approach to Ponce at the end is he seems he seems genuinely kind of happy and at ease. There's not the moment of he turns to the camera with somewhat sinister look and a sting goes off. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and I also, it, it seems like there's a scene or two missing, because suddenly he's not with Angie Dickinson anymore. She's at the funeral, and there's some blonde hunk sitting next to her, and he's touching her leg, and she's okay with it. I, can't, I, don't, I don't understand the last five minutes. Uh, this, to me, is where Vadim, as the foreign observer, is just kind of, you know, very deadpan, pointing the camera and saying, look at how fucked this is without saying it. And the, the Angie Dickinson thing, definitely. And that yeah. was the part that made me the saddest. Like, oh, mm-hmm. this is sad. This is a woman who's having sex with 16 year old boys, doesn't really want to, but is but is stuck in the compulsion of it. And it's going to happen again. And like I said, and the shot of the blonde football hunk putting his hand on her thigh yeah. it is kind of played for, like you said, a deadpan joke, but also like, oh, man, this is a real downer. But to this me, it was sad. just like, you know, the, the, you know, big wheel keep on turning kind of thing. Like and and this is where like so much of. So my first observation about Rock Hudson's performance in this is that it's so powerful and he's so good that everything we know about Rock Hudson doesn't matter. It's impossible to imagine him not being this hyper-heterosexual lady killer, literally in this movie, but just irresistible to women, irresistible to his own impulses over women. And there was an interesting echo, and, and again, probably not conscious, where they go into his office at one point, and he's on a bongo board. Where it, which is uh, yeah. which is a, a just a flat board on a rolling kind of uh, I don't know how to a cylinder in the middle. The only other person I've ever seen like masterfully demonstrate a bongo board was Hugh Hefner on an episode of <laughs> uh, Playboy After Dark. Uh, by the way, so, there's another scene where Rock Hudson is walking down the hall on his hands. Right, right. So mm-hmm. he, yeah. So superhuman strength, uh, you know. Amazing abilities. He does have a very seventies Hefner vibe in this, yeah, though. Yeah, like, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, but you know, just the, the embodiment of heterosexuality, and yet we know what we know about Rock Hudson now, right? Which, and, yeah, but you saying like that, that to me, it it did add to it. Like when you say, like it, it did add to the humor of the performance, and yeah. you're right, he really sells it. But that it does seem to be part of the commentary and the joke. And I want to say, it was, uh, so Tarantino introducing. Pretty Maids in 2007 said Rock's performance is so good that it can bear the weight that Rock Hudson's mythology bears down on it. All the baggage of his fucking life will just go away. This was his last great kick-ass performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. It makes it makes him a better actor in my eyes because it's true. You don't, you know, you keep sort of thinking about Rock Hudson as a as a man while you're watching this, but 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 as much as you try to force that into this viewing in this character you can't get it in there because you're like no this is fucking i i believe everything about this guy right so i'm trying to think of a comparable performance of someone who is playing uh against their reality that uh th- that convincingly yes, i think it, of steve it, it, martin it really doing inspector clouseau in those pink panther remakes that's awesome <laughs> <to me. laughs> we know this guy's not french yeah, there you go. <laughs> so but it made me think uh again we're all we're going to talk about this guy on every podcast. Danny Peary's Close-Ups, the movie star book, which he edited, which is a collection of essays. And and I don't know when that, that book's from like 1982 or so, or even earlier than that. But the essay on Rock Hudson, and I don't remember who wrote it, talked about how his characters, unlike the other man's man Hollywood stars, men's man, you know, like, the, the, like John Wayne and Steve McQueen of that era, his characters would never show any flaws. 
Whereas like John Wayne would be prejudiced or jealous and Steve McQueen might have a temper. Rock Hudson's characters were always completely in control of everything. And reading that and then knowing that he had this other life where he was, uh, you know, completely gay and sexually acting out like a maniac and uh, couldn't live his honestly, that becomes, that's a fascinating thing. So then it, so in thinking about that in the context of this movie, hindsight, of course, it's always fun to force this stuff through that. But um, I was, and this is just, this is a weird, like, synchronistic thing that happened. My note at the end when Ponce is just completely walking around having all this power over the women, I wrote the word, he's a, he's a bulwark. And then I said, I better look up what the word bulwark actually <laughs> means. Because uh-huh. I'm thinking it just means like a big rock. or so, Oh, there you go, rock. It means a defensive wall, a protection against external injury, danger, or annoyance. So I was thinking like, you know, so that's perhaps this is all about that bulwark. And then I I was also thinking, you know, on Crackpot Cinema, we did a toxic masculinity meltdown episode. Oh, yes. And I was like, well, this could, this could work in that context, too. I had never yeah. thought of it that way that this is a guy desperately trying to keep his truth from coming to light and it's all tied up in sexuality right and it, and as much as he is like you said charismatic and sexy there's there is also definitely the kind of satire of this is a middle-aged man's yeah. meltdown <laughs> you, yeah. you know and and he and he is a weird counterpart to angie dickinson that way in right in preying on young people. And then he grooms Ponce to be his replacement. And then grooms is also a much more loaded term now than it was at any time in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just to kind of keep this toxic stream flowing. You know, he's got to, he's got to take off. He's got to go to Brazil, but we're going to keep it going. Here's my, he's the, the heir to my kingdom. Yeah, no, I, I buy what you're saying, that it's Vadim as this very kind of jaded European outsider look in American culture, that it is the deadpan, like, I, I'm not going to flat out comment, look how disgusting this is, but look how right. disgusting it is. Yeah, right. Yeah. And maybe I don't even think it's that disgusting because I'm Roger Vadim, you know? Well, <laughs> well, that, well Ver, Verhoeven to me is also the... Right. Uh, mm. God, who was I just... Verhoeven is the other example of that. I just, I just heard somebody talking about uh, him... Like, oh, the whole idea of, like, when he was making Showgirls, like, well, he was, like, this party animal having sex all over the place on the Showgirls set, so he, right. so it, it, but he, he so embodied that commentary, and right. Vadim, you know, is probably the same kind of guy, I would think. Yeah. I had this note uh, that says, and th- this refers to the funeral, they, for some reason, they, they stage a funeral for all of the dead girls at the same time. Which it took yes. me the second right. viewing to, to even time, wrap which was, my head around. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of a joke, wasn't it? Yes, to save time so, for the yeah. football game? No, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But so I, my note was that the, at the funeral, there's this close-up of an old Italian lady's crying eyes. And I'm like, who is this old Italian lady? But then it sort of pulls back and I realize that, no, it's Rock Hudson. Like, you see Rock Hudson's <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a great close-up. That was amazing. That, yeah. that was yeah. amazing. Yeah. But, yeah. It really was something. But thinking about that scene now made me wonder, what this movie might have been like if, say, Michael Ritchie had directed it, because I right. do think that there that this movie is a black comedy, but I do think that Vadim is not that great with some of the comic elements, and I think they probably could have milked a lot more sort of black humor out of that 
funeral for all the all the pretty maids that we don't you know we barely register that that's what's yeah. going on what that actually reminded me of was in uh, student bodies the great slasher movie parody yes. when they have the funeral and they have black balloons and the cheerleaders are all dressed in black with black pom-poms and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was more subtle than that, but I, I thought it was the same type of thing. And, and going back to Roddy McDowell as the principal, every time one of these girls gets killed, he says something like, and she was such a good cheerleader. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, that he, stuff's great. He, Roddy yeah. has not a lot to do in this movie, but he does have those that running gag. But I want, yes, it's very funny. And but his again, presence, I want to say, connects this movie, yeah, sure, Lord Love a Duck. to Lord Love a Duck, the great high school murder comedy of the '60s, and then going forward to Class of 1984, oh. where he's the biology teacher. Yeah, yeah. but it which is, is interesting. The, which is the no joke. To take this seriously, this punk juvenile yeah. delinquent movie of the of the early eighties, and you couldn't yeah. pick three movies that more embody their exact moment than yeah. those three movies. But it is interesting that McDowell is a is a goes from high school student to principal in five years. In the yeah, in he was yeah, he was almost Lord forty Lovett. in Lord Lovett. Yeah. but I, you know it's funny like. I was just going to say, it's funny, like, now that I'm, like, a dad in my 40s with, with like, daughters, like, you know, one of who's a teenager, like, it was interesting watching this movie, like, I'm less sympathetic to the jaded look at American culture yeah. than I've ever been. Like, yeah, I know people like football. Yeah. They, they have fun. They come together and watch football. <laughs> yeah. It's just, Oh, it's just so shallow and stupid. Isn't yeah. it? Oh yeah. 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 Teenage girls hang out and they walk around dresses like, Oh my God, look at them parading. Like <laughs> I, I, it is, it is funny how I really have very little patience for the sardonic look at our, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. I, I did uh, find but, myself thinking, who is it? Who did Vadim and Roddenberry get to explain American football to them so that he could create that final yeah. sequence of the of the football game. Um, but you know who you know who I think um, uh, carries the day comedically in this movie again is Angie Dickinson. I can't remember her in other comedies. I'm sure she has been in other comedies, but I was shocked at how agile she is. Um, uh, verbally, like uh, with the, mm -hmm. with the comedic dialogue, her timing is very funny in mm -hmm. lots of the scenes. And then as a physical comedian, I think she has a lot of great stuff in this movie too. Um, mm -hmm. I was really impressed and I, I was wishing, Oh my God, I wish there were some more Angie Dickinson comedies for me to watch. Yeah. The scenes of her and Ponce at her place are funny where she, she's giving him a bath and she yeah. reaches in right. and th th thinks she's got the soap yep. and she has his dick. That's the joke. And, uh, <laughs> Somebody needs to and, explain uh, to me this giant chocolate bunny that's filled with, I guess, cherry liqueur. Duck. That was, a duck. Oh, duck. Was a sorry, duck. Right. duck. It was a yeah. duck. <laughs> I was saying, oh, maybe that was the Lord love a duck nod. Another yeah. one. And he walks yeah, in there with his giant thing. He sits on the duck full yeah. of like, yeah, I mean, yeah, then he kind, sits like on liqueur it. of some bizarre kind. Yeah. It looks like blood. Yeah. It, but like yeah. shitty diarrhea blood. Yeah. But at the same time, it looked pretty fucking good. <laughs> oh, I was please, like, I, I want a big chocolate yeah. duck full of cherry yeah. liqueur stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a weird gift that Ponce brought. <laughs> To seduce her. But that nightgown that has no sides that she's wearing. Ooh, la, oh, that la. was something else. Yeah. That, that was, was amazing. Yeah. That was something else. 
You know, when we're talking about Rock Hudson's great performance, the one thing that did throw me off is there's a lot of ADR in this movie. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yes. Yeah. There's a yes. lot. There's a lot of rock scenes, and I'd love to know why. Where he's in the middle of speaking, and then they'll go to a an ADR scene yeah. of him like come into my office. You yeah. have a seat. <laughs> Which and it reminded me. Here's what it reminded me of when the Sleazoid Express book came out by the right. late great Bill Landis and and his wife Michelle Clifford. You and I were obsessed with that book, Mike, and yeah. and I wanted to see every movie in it. And I saw this movie and it, it's called something it's some total sleazy piece of shit called like I don't know slaves in cages or women in cages <laughs> yeah. and, and and it's and it's like and it's about like some evil guy like uh, driving around town finding women and and he's in like a suit and tie and and he's ADR the entire movie exactly like that like come into my car you may have a seat <laughs> and that's I, I, so it was weird to get that dissonance of 70s sleazy you know yeah. bad well, ADR maybe it was it was a giallo, a giallo uh, nod there is we'll one the, uh, really, th- there's a very disconcerting scene where he's yelling at the football team on the field and they keep answering him back and they are not ADR'd. So right. the, the soundtrack keeps right. cutting from like yeah. pristine yes. rock yeah. cuts into those guys and all sorts of wind yeah. noise and where shit. It's like, and it's like a, who are we? And they're like, yeah. we're the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to go out there and kill them. That's right. <laughs> we are going to kill them. Get out on the God, field. You did make me now. I'm going to dream all night. I wish Landis had written about this movie. This is such a perfect movie for him. God, did they? Those, they must. Those have. later. Did they no. On it? I can't imagine. No. Those later Sleazoid Expresses, those like early 2000s, they'd be great. Anyway. I could see Bill Landis being like, that movie was jive. You know, like, so I could see him dismissing <laughs> yeah, it. You no, know? totally. Yeah. That's the, the, yeah. That's the poser version of this. Yes. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Slaves in Cages, that was the real <laughs> bad ADR sex movie. Preying on women. Yeah. You know, from hey ben, that... uh, let me tell you about a uh, an Angie Dickinson comedy you got to look up. Oh, yeah, please. Some Kind of Nut from 1969. Completely okay. new to me. Awesome. Here's the official oh, yeah. description. 69, imagine this. Two years before Pretty Mates. In mm-hmm. this comedy satire on conformity, Dick Van Dyke plays a Manhattan bank teller who grows a beard. When he develops a rash from a bee sting, he is promptly fired from his job while his co-workers stand behind him. Angie Dickinson plays his wife. Written and directed by Garson Kanan. Oh, Jesus. All right. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And he, Never he, heard he, of couldn't slip, he couldn't slip Ruth Gordon in. Is she in that? Is she having an appearance? I, I, you know, I should have looked a little harder. That's all right. Um, Grows a beard. What a nut. <laughs> but as long as... But that, only because he got I, stung I, by a bee. I feel like I've seen a Dick Van Dyke movie from that era where he's got a beard. Maybe I've seen bits of that. That sounds like it must have been a 4:30 movie at some point, right? That, that that sounds very much, but I had never. I'm not at all familiar with it. So no, but some so kind of nut from the, from that same Tarantino uh, spiel that he wrote. Yeah. He talks about it, the Angie Dickinson seduction scene, and he says, there is not a seduction scene. There are sex scenes, but there is not a seduction scene that rings my bell and boils my oil more than Angie Dickinson <laughs> in her scene with John David Carson. Now, I want to know, I wanna, I'm only bringing this up to ask this. Boils my oil. I, Tarantino can write, is capable oil. of writing fantastic dialogue in his screenplays. Why is he always saying the stupidest fucking shit in real life? Boils my oil. We'll have to have him on and ask him. I'll tell you what. 
And Angie Dickinson boils my oil. <laughs> boils my oil. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Have you ever met him, Aaron? I mean, remember we had breakfast next to him at Barney's Beanery, like right after no. Pulp Fiction came out? No. Uh, God, no. I I feel like there's no celebrity in L.A. I've seen more in person than Tarantino because right. of going to nerdy films. Yeah, yeah, right. I've seen him at the movies you know, and stuff, yeah. Constantly. But yeah. but I don't think I ever did meet him. No. I like. Yeah. No. Uh, the closest proximity I ever got to him was I wrote on god this is such a weird memory this bad award show it was i think it was the scream awards it was like it was right. like the horror yeah and this is amazing to think of so it was a, a horror sci-fi themed award show hosted by the three the women of grindhouse so it was rose wow. mcgowan and two of the stars of death proof and uh and he was he was hanging out for that he was hanging out around backstage and stuff like that but wow. uh, but just thinking, think of me having to write a comedy monologue for the women of Grindhouse. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well, here we are, girls. What a night. You know, it was. It was so uh, we haven't mentioned Keenan Wynn as Officer Podolsky, who's like the I local. I always love Keenan Wynn. I, I always love Keenan Wynn. Am I the only one who always wants to say Keenan Ivory Wynn for no particular <laughs> yes, reason? you are. Now, now I will. Now I yeah. will. Yeah, me too. Uh, he's yeah. great. I love seeing him. So uh, I he always had associated him with Disney films, but in looking down his list, he's in. He, I, he's in Herbie, Herbie Rides again. But is that it? Right. I couldn't find another he's in Disney Herbie Rides again. Film. There's one other. I I can't remember if it's Strongest Man in the World or I feel like there's one other. Right. God, Maybe he has such a Disney face and voice, particularly yeah. of our era of the seventies. Yeah. Yes. So, um, I mean, so he had quite a 1971. He was in a TV movie uh, called Terror in the Sky, co-starring Roddy McDowell. He was in an Italian crime film called The Man with Icy Eyes, which sounds great. Yeah, that does. We've talked about these, like, those polizias or whatever they're called. Yeah. And the completely fucking insane, this is a Sleazoid Express classic. The Manipulator, a.k.a. B.J. Lang, presents with Mickey Rooney. Oh, yeah. Yep. Made around the time Mickey Rooney was dropping acid. Yeah, I didn't know. I don't remember Keenan Wynn being in that. No, that's, I don't either. It's pretty yeah. A-list for that movie. I mean, that's yeah. A, yeah, that's wild. And now we got to watch that again. Yeah, no shit. I watch the so let's uh, let's talk about the Osmonds' uh, chilly winds. The Wait, theme before song. we do, as long as you yes. mentioned Roddy McDowell just yeah. now, um, he, I wanted to again. We mentioned this um, a couple weeks ago, and I can't remember why, but he directed a movie. Oh, because I was talking about oh, yeah. actors who who yeah. directed one film. So he directed this movie that I, that is mostly called Tam Lin, but I see it's also called The Ballad of Tam Lin or The Devil's Widow or The Devil's Woman. And it's described Damn. in Wikipedia as it's a it's a 1970 British folk horror film directed by Holy Roddy shit. McDowell, starring Ava wow. Gardner and Ian McShane. I gotta wow. track this movie down. Amazing! This yeah. sounds yeah. crazy. F- folk horror is the thing. And right McDowell's now. direction of that film is what precluded him from reprising his role as Cornelius in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which is the only apes uh, movie he wasn't uh, in. How about that? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's Roddy for you. Nineteen seventy. So uh, yeah. chilly winds by yeah. the Osmonds. First yes. off, it's it's a chilling song. It's completely creepy. <laughs> but music yeah. by Lalo Schifrin. Schifrin. Lyrics by Mike Kerb. Uh, Schifrin is best known for the Mission Impossible theme and the tar sequence theme from Cool Hand Luke, which is the 
theme music from Eyewitness News in New York and probably L.A. too. And uh, he's uh, entered the dragon. Also. Enter the dragon, the which Dirty Harry movies, yeah. roller coaster, which we're going to cover on this show. Yeah, soon. baby. And caveman. Yeah. Now Mike With Curb. Ringo Starr. Yes, Mike Curb is a okay. fascinating character to me. Uh, the founder of Curb Records. Uh, he was a movie composer, including Born Losers, the first Billy Jack movie, and a stock car racing Hall of Fame champion. From 1979 to 1983, he was the lieutenant governor of your state, Aaron, California. All right. Under Mm -hmm. Governor Moonbeam, Jerry Brown. Mm -hmm. In 1970, Curb was the president of MGM Records and dropped 18 acts he thought promoted the abuse of hard drugs, including Frank Zappa and and the Velvet Underground in 1970. (laughs) So Schifrin and Curb, and this is how I even know who Mike Curb is, Compose one of my all-time favorite songs, Burning Bridges, by the Mike Curb Congregation, which plays three times in its entirety, in the beginning, the middle, and the end of Kelly's Heroes. Oh, wow. Which wow. is one of my favorite Telly Savalas performances, where he just kind of reprises his role from the Dirty Dozen, but just does it crazy. And he gets so furious at you know the space cadet Donald Sutherland oddball, who was one of the funniest characters ever. I, I love watching Telly lose his shit on Oddball in that movie. <laughs> so so Burning Bridges is it's it's great. It's like this amazing like kind of sunshine pop bubblegum song, but it's really like an anti hippie anthem. So Mike Curb had a weird agenda going on at the same time. Was um, was Chili <laughs> Winds written for this movie? Yeah, it was. Yeah, but then it and appears a- on the Osmonds album Homemade, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I want to, the final words, uh, the final lyrics of Chili Winds kind of echo the Mike Curb philosophy. Endless evolution turned off revolution. Everybody reads between the lines. Kicks put up on the shelf. So high on life itself. Hopelessly, we're playing with the mind. He really had no Ooh. patience for the young folk of that day. <laughs> he was the right man to, to pen the theme to Pretty Maids All in a Row. Um, Are there two versions of that song in the movie? Is there like, it's like the homemade album version of that song is sort of the sort of more mellow thing. But at the end credits of this movie, it sounds like a more rockin' version of it. I did not notice that. Or just a more rockin' part of it. Uh, Maybe there's, yeah. I mean, I didn't notice that there was any difference. Um, Okay. But yeah, they they were on the homemade, right, which was, uh, which they hadn't even had a hit with one bad apple at that point. So they were still trying to find themselves after being the Osmond brothers. And then they put the Phase 3 album, which was the first time they, they like imitated Jackson 5, and worked in like heavy metal, which is amazing. Which yeah. is a article. I want to plug an article I wrote for Vice, which was the secret history of Mormon heavy metal. Because they, they discovered Led Zeppelin, and they went and they uh, played live on stage with Led Zeppelin in London once. Um, and then their masterpiece is Crazy Horses, and they followed that with the completely mind-blowing mormon concept album the plan in 1973 and and you know you talking about because this is a 70s podcast yes talking about mike curb and all the california jerry brown is one of the most fascinating 70s figures to me i was fascinated by him as a kid in the 70s i knew the jokes about governor moonbeam yeah and uh, su- such a groovy guy, hanging yeah. out with Linda Ronstadt. On the cover, Rolling I, Stone with the Eagles. Yeah, 
That's it. I was thinking, I was like, where did, was I seeing this guy? Because he wasn't, he wasn't like a Mad Magazine parodied figure. No. But I think that was it. He was covered in more like, like you're saying, like, yeah, yeah. I would have seen him in Rolling Stone right. and stuff. Right. And then his transformation when he became governor again as the cranky old man was absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I don't know how much you've seen present day Jerry Brown. A bit, but yeah. He was he was my candidate in 1992. I was a very big Jerry Brown supporter in 92. I I understand that. I understand and yeah. he really became this fascinating angry raspy voiced like could not have had the bigger 180 turn from from Well, Gunner. I know he he kept because at crime feed I would report on like he would always turn down the Manson family's attempt to uh, get paroled. He was like the Manson people <laughs> oh. are not getting out of jail. Sorry. Yeah, right. Oh, and like, it, come and on, Governor he, Moonbeam. He, come on, chill out. He's only one step removed from this movie because he's got that Jane Fonda, Roger Vadim connection. Which is what? I don't know this. But Jane Fonda. Like, he was, he's, he's Oh, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Jerry Brown, Jane and Fonda, Vadim. Roger Vadim. Sure. Yeah. And go. we should yeah, say, yeah, this was, this was Vadim's first movie since Barbarella and his first since breaking up with Jane Fonda. Mm-hmm. Oh, and speaking of the Eagles, yeah. I want to work this in there, in here. I have always been obsessed with the songs, pretty with the song "Pretty Maids All in a Row" by the Eagles, which is the first Joe Walsh Eagles song, right? And I just read Bob Dylan recently say that could be one of the best songs ever written, and I want to say I'm wow. right there with with Zimmy. Dylan's and a big Eagles fan altogether. Yeah, I love the movie too. Pretty Maids <laughs> All in a Row. A lot of nudity, and, like and often when I'm uh, when I want to like depress myself, there's this James Gang concert from German TV in 1972, and I watch that and I go, "You're never going to be as good at anything as these guys are in this concert." <laughs> wow, yeah. So that's my Did you see? I think thing. it's on the Wikipedia page for Pretty Mates All in a Row. Did you see that there was a quote from Roger Vadim like? Jane Fonda is not in the movie and will not and will never be. Or thing. Yeah, yeah, I did that? see that. Like, it's like it was unnecessary to go yeah. out of your way, Roger. To, you know. So uh, should we run through the pretty maids because they're all pretty interesting? All right. Yeah. All right. So we have Joy Bang, who was sort of an up and coming starlet that uh, didn't make it. Uh, she was in Maidstone, the incredible Norman Mailer film, and most famously in Play It Against Sam with Woody Allen. Also in Dealing, the wow. Boston to God. Berkeley 40 brick lost bag blues. So, so she was hanging out working with Woody Allen, Norman, Norman Miller, Miller, and Roger Vadim. <laughs> like, jeez, man. Joy. <laughs> well, I can't believe she didn't make a Roman Polanski movie. Right. Like, but well, then by 72, she was already in Night of the Cobra Woman and Messiah of Evil. Yeah. Which famously appears on the L.A. theater marquee in uh, Annie Hall. Joanna Cameron, who played Isis on the TV show Isis. Loved that nice. show as a kid. Oh, man, I was into that. Margaret Markov, who's a very statuesque blonde actress, uh, co-star with Pam Greer in both The Arena, the amazing Roger Corman Ancient Rome movie, and yep. Black Mama, White Mama. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an awesome movie. That is I, she, she's one yeah. of my faves. She's one yeah. of my faves. Yeah. Uh, Brenda Sykes, who is uh, African-American, Co-star, do you guys remember the the sitcom Ozzy's Girls? Aaron, you're probably too young for this. It yeah, was it was know. an extension of Ozzy and Harry oh, yeah. in the seventies. Oh, it was yeah. syndicated. Yeah, and I for some reason remember loving this show. And they had two hippie chicks after David and Ricky moved out. Two hippie chicks moved in, and it was like a 
a little like blonde flower child and a uh, a black hippie chick, and that was Brenda Sykes. Um, mm. She was and then she was in Honky, Black mm-hmm. Gun. Oh, Cleopatra Have Jones. Have you ever seen that? Have you seen Honky? No, no. Me neither. No, I've never seen no. that one. Uh, like Cleopatra it. Jones, I've seen, and I've also seen Mandingo and Drum, which she's both sure. she's in. Yeah, speaking uh, of Tarantino favorite. Yeah, June Fairchild, who went on to play a reporter in Sextet, a film we talked about with Frank Santa mm-hmm. Padre. Oh, yes. And she's the lady who snorts Ajax in Up in Smoke. Oh, oh God, I love that. Yes, amazing. Yeah. Uh, Amy Eccles is the Asian actress. She was in Little Big Man, Ulzana's Raid, Paradise Alley, The Concrete Jungle, which is a women in prison movie from 82 that I went to see in the theater by myself. Nice. Uh, Love Lines from 84, which uh, we talked about with Daniel Waters last week, because remember he said mm-hmm. K-Rock's uh, Love Lines was a big influence on Heather's. That's the Michael mm-hmm. Winslow, the sound effects guy from Police Academy, his solo comedy. Have you seen Paradise Alley? No, no. I saw it this year on the big screen. Wow. How was that? Uh, it's pretty good. I mean, it's not great, but it's got a really right. good climactic wrestling match outdoors at night in the rain. And it's really beautiful. Um, and it's got wow. Sylvester Stallone singing the theme song. Oh, man. So those are two things to recommend. Oh, for you know what? I think I was getting it confused with Damnation Alley. That's, uh, George, <laughs> that's George Papard. Yeah, right? but Stallone also sings yeah. the theme song okay. for that. <laughs> yeah. It's about a cockroach eating um, what's-his-name's leg. <laughs> so we want to talk about... Okay, so another busy actor in 1971, Roddy McDowell. He was also in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, What's a Nice Girl Like You with Brenda Vaccaro, uh, the TV movie uh, Terror in the Sky with Keenan Wynn. Wait, another, this is all 71? All 71. Good uh, Lord. Another TV movie called A Taste of Evil, an episode of Ironside, and an episode of the UK series Journey into Murder. Amazing. Is does he have is he have an on screen role in Bedknobs and Broomsticks? I can't remember him in that. Movie. I don't remember. Maybe he's just the voice of the yeah. Bedknobs or the Broomsticks. I remember loving the movie yeah. when I was three. Right. So I don't really remember. <laughs> <so>. <sighs> and um, so yeah, Telly Savalas uh, was coming into this off of. A hot run, uh, Archer Maggot and the Dirty Dozen, Blofeld and On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Big Joe and Kelly's Heroes. Al, and th- I had never heard of Al Weber in Violent City with Charles Bronson, another Italian crime movie. Ooh. Wait, is, isn't it, it, as Blofeld and On Her Majesty's Secret Service, isn't that the one where he has the line I love where he hypnotizes all his women slaves on the island and, he, and he's telling them, like, you obey me. He's speaking through a loudspeaker and he and he's like you obey me you do what i say you love fried chicken i, remember that. <laughs> I don't remember that's I don't one remember. of the hypnotic yeah. commands you love fried chicken <laughs> i was like that's brilliant i would i would yeah. say that if i was hypnotizing slaves that hung out with me <laughs> so don't make any complaints if i say i want fried chicken again tonight because you love fried chicken and then uh, Kojak premiered uh, as part, it was a television movie called The Marcus Nelson Murders, which is a really remarkable movie. 
and he's just the detective in that movie. I really recommend that movie. Um, this really made me want to watch Kojak, man. I, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen those, and I was never that interested in it as right. a kid, and I, I didn't watch a lot of Kojak. I, I got to get a DVD set or something. I want to watch But it also made woman. me recall my favorite late-era yeah. telly role was he played Tommy Collette, who was the arch nemesis of the commish on the commish mm. in 92 and 93. And there was an episode where he was a mobster, so Tommy and the commish had to team up to take on a child molester. They were taking down a child. And then, they, do you remember, do you guys remember there was a syndicated version of the movie The Untouchables that was on? Around the same time. It was also 93. And it, there was an episode of that where Elliot Ness and Al Capone teamed up to take down a child molester. Oh, Jesus. It was a hot topic. Well, who played Elliot Ness in the syndicated series? It was some guy I've never heard of. Al Capone was uh, William Forsythe. Oh. Flat Top from Dick Tracy. Sure, and sure. Other things, yeah, yeah. So. The guy who really looks like his name should not be William Forsythe, but it is. Yeah. Yeah, we have some reviews, too. So oh, okay. You, we can do that. The uh, New York Times review you got into. Um, yeah. And Roger Ebert, he's, he opens it with, one thing you can say about Pretty Major All in a row, Rock Hudson sex comedy sure have changed since Pillow Talk. Um, he says ultimately <laughs> the movie is embarrassing. Hmm. It's embarrassing because Vadim's personal hangups don't fit the nature of his material. So he tries to bend things. Vadim is more interested in sadomasochism than any director since Louis Bunuel. But high school football players and pom-pom girls aren't an appropriate background for decadence, which tends to look sheepish in daylight. Well, there's no real S and M. I mean, other than the fact that he's killing people, but right. I mean, I, I yeah. I mean, it's a leap, I suppose, psychologically. Right. Um, Mark uh, Edward Hoyk wrote a, a really great long piece for the New Beverly Cinema website that was very helpful in researching this. Oh yeah, um, I read that. Uh, Aaron knows him, so we, and I've met him a couple of times. I met him at a midnight screening of Sunny Boy. Which oh, is a yes. you, you told me discussed. about that. Yes. Yeah. Francis Polini. I put that note in the Francis wrong place. Francis Polini. Francis Polini is the author Francis of the novel Pellini. Pretty Maids All in a Row. So this, this movie got reviewed in the New York Times on Thursday, April 29th, 1971. The review appears directly below a review of... Woody Allen's Bananas. Opened the same day. Yeah. Um, which, I'll, oh, and yeah, they both opened like the day before, Wednesday, yeah. April 28th. I'm going to come clean. God, what it, it must have been so hard for Woody Allen. Like, I want to see the movie about the 16-year-old teenage girl so bad, but my own movie is opening. Oh, what do Fortunately, I, do? I never watch my own movies. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'll just go see this movie over and over again all yeah. day. My Woody Allen thing, I first, I'm sure the first one I saw was Sleeper on TV. Because I remember that being on and being totally excited. Yes, that was the first one I saw, yeah. Because it's like science fiction and hilarious and like slapstick and stuff. And then then I feel like the next one I saw was Annie Hall in the movie theaters. And then then sort of tried to backtrack. But I can honestly, and, and, uh, and Take the Money and Run, I've seen, you know several times and remember seeing but bananas and love and death are two woody allen movies i may have seen at some point but i really Mm. don't have a clear memory of of actually sitting through all of either one of them are they are they rented both of them because Mm -hmm. they were not on tv love and death is one of his funniest movies love and death is like devastatingly funny oh i gotta get okay i gotta watch that 
What about bananas? And bananas is funny. Bananas is is very Mad Magazine. It's very like airplaneish almost. It's it's just gag gag gag. And what was interesting in having listened to his book recently is that Mickey Rose, who he wrote those with, uh, was just his friend from Midwood High School. Was huh. just the funniest no guy in Midwood High School. Yeah, Mickey Rose, who went on to write Student Bodies. Correct. No, that's Which Marshall Brickman, isn't it? Or is it Mickey Rose? Oh. Wrote? No, well, no, no, it's Mickey, it Rose. Mickey Rose. It's Mickey Rose yeah, who wrote Mickey Superman. Rose. You're right, yeah. Which, yeah. to me, is one of the funniest uh, movies ever. I mean, I love that movie. Yeah, so. that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think no, about just, those Marshall Brickman movies that he wrote by himself? Uh, the um, Manhattan Project was one. <laughs> <laughs> Lovesick, I think, was another one. I never saw Lovesick. What's the one about a robot or a, a AI or some shit like that? Is that Lovesick? No, that's Lovesick is with uh, Dudley Moore, and mm. I think Elizabeth McGovern. Mm. Hang on. And then uh, the Manhattan Project is about the kid who knows how to build a nuclear bomb. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. And that was when my family finally got cable in 1987. That was on HBO and Showtime at the same time for four weeks. Oh, <laughs> oh no, I'm thinking of Simon. Simon. Oh, Simon. Oh, now, Simon, Simon I've never I just seen. watched that. I just watched it recently. They put out a like, uh, you know, one of those MGM or or um, right, y- you know, one of those small right. release DVDs and uh, with Alan Arkin and Austin yeah. Pendleton. Yes, and, yeah. And it was not great, but it is a lot. You can't beat Arkin. You, you know, he's yeah. always yeah. awesome. And uh, and it's a lot of Arkin. It's a lot of uh, him doing pretty pretty crazy wacky shtick it's uh yeah it's worth watching i remember it playing i remember people talking about it and i've never seen it you know what another else? another big cable movie at that period too uh simon you know what else marshall brickman he co-wrote the movie version of jersey boys oh that's uh, right well he was he did the play too. oh he did oh okay. yeah which i saw and loved i saw the broadway play and completely loved uh my daughter lily is obsessed with the play and the movie and everything Jersey yeah. Boys related. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Marshall Brickman. I, I saw the movie in the theater. It was me and like 165-year-old women, I would say. I noticed I was the youngest was that, person. Was the guy there, from The, the Hunted there. there? Imagine that. Him watching Jersey Boys. <laughs> when Walk Like a Man came on, he lost his shit and started screaming. All it's right. too intense. So on Thursday, April 29th, there's an ad next to those two reviews for a double feature that was going to start playing the next day in Brooklyn at the Albi, the Diker, the Kenmore, the Madison. Again, I've never heard of this movie theater. No. But also the Georgetown Twin. I was actually surprised to see that Georgetown was in business in 71. I didn't think uh, it was a that twin. old of a theater. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the Kingsway. Our haunt, the king's yeah. Okay, so this this double feature. Let's see if you guys can guess these movies. It's called Two Wives Tales. Is the is the double feature title? Um, and one I'm of them say Diary of a Mad Housewife. That's right. And I don't know the other one. The other one is Elliot Gould and my favorite Brenda Vaccaro in something called I Love My Dot 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 Wife. White. Yeah. Yes, yes, I remember that mm. movie. Yeah. Which is billed, the tagline is, an excruciatingly hilarious black and blue comedy about sex and marriage. Hmm. Excruciating. Yeah, black <laughs> and blue. It's, it's a lot of violent language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the domestic violence farce of the year. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, and then below Weird. that is an ad for Love Story. 
which okay. is a phenomenon. Still running. Yes. At, Just with a giant tagline, fuck, yeah. shit, love story. <laughs> at Radio City Music Hall, and this is kind of mind-blowing to think about this. Radio City Music Hall was showing a new leaf with Walter Matthau and Elaine May. How do you like that? Wow. Yeah. At Radio oh. City Music Hall. Wow. Yeah. And then there was this movie uh, playing at a theater near you. I don't know this movie. Percy. Percy. Is that oh, okay. A movie? Yes. I, no. Percy no. is the penis transplant movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's a the, sex comedy. That's a Golden Turkey Awards yes. staple. And Percy. I want to yeah. say Percy, because I, I looked up uh, some ads. Percy was playing at the King's Plaza South yes. while Pretty Maids yes. was at the King's Plaza North. Oh, that oh, makes all that's, the sense in the that's world. A day of movie and then going. whatever I can't remember now what I posted. Oh, it was the story of O and if you don't stop it, uh, you'll go blind. Both playing at the Kings Plaza uh, South and North, respectively. And uh, I did make the note like, what, what kind of pervert was programming the Kings Plaza Twin at that mm-hmm. point? <laughs> Have you seen Percy? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I ever saw. I it. saw it and it was bad. I didn't like it. Yeah, I always remember, don't the Medveds say the doctor while he's sewing the yeah, transplant he, on sings a little ditty called Penis from Heaven? Penis right? from Heaven. He whistles a little line. says, one of my favorites, Penis from Heaven, yes. Penis from Heaven. I also want to say, just uh, this is a real Brooklyn-centric thing. Uh, ben, I never saw a movie at the King's Plaza South, only ever at the North. Oh, really? We made it to the South, yeah. I didn't even know that those were the names. I didn't know that North and South yeah. were the two... Yeah things i'm sure the north was to the was but, to the right but by the way in their later years they split them up even further i think there ended up being like three or four theaters i think there were uh, yeah there were a lot yeah. yeah yeah um uh at the cinema one was robert weiss's the andromeda strain which is a movie i saw in the 70s at a star trek convention and loved wow. um my uncle it, bobby had the album that was shaped oh, like yeah. an octagon and that's a record. crazy yeah. experimental oh, wow. score yeah. like it's yeah. totally yeah. weird yeah uh, yeah. But I, I saw that at the New Beverly recently. I mean, within the past couple of years, and it was pretty fun. It, hold, it holds up. In the ad, there's this great thing that I, I'm surprised they were still using in '71 for the Andromeda strain. No one will be seated during the last ten minutes. Wow. Which yeah. I used to, as a kid, I used to like play act those last ten minutes of uh, what's his name climbing the ladder and getting shot with laser beams as he's trying to turn off the fucking thing so that the whole place doesn't blow up. Yeah. But, what a great suspense trope that! Uh, yeah. But by by the way, what what did that mean? No one will be seated. <laughs> like I never understood. Like uh, yeah, uh, what time? One for the eight p.m. and drama. <laughs> no, I know it's nine thirty. I would like to go in now. Well, I'm sorry, sir, but it's the last ten minutes. No, well, I know. I just you know I'm, what I, I you know you make that point, and I have wondered about this. Uh, do you remember like you could just sit through the movie more than once back then? So I think okay, people would but, just kind of wander in, maybe, oh, and say, "Well, I'll watch I, the, I'll watch it yeah. out of order." I was watching a documentary about Psycho, and discovered that before Psycho, that was the thing. People would they they wouldn't even care about what the start time of a movie is. People would just wander in any old wow. time, sit down and watch a thing. And Hitchcock, maybe I'll see the ending, yeah, and right. then and then I'll and hang then watch out the beginning, for the yeah, twenty right. minutes, and then I'll start the movie. Okay, and Hitchcock All right. said, okay. "I'm not doing that with this shit." And so for Psycho, he, yeah. He forced theater owners to, to make people come in for the beginning of the movie and not admit that people. That explains it. Yeah. Always baffled me. Like, who's walking into a movie that... So now now I know. It was a, it was a wild, free time back then. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, 
here's a movie I know nothing about. Mike, uh, erotic bestseller comes to the screen. My Secret Life. No idea. Wow. Uh, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song was playing at Lowe's sure. Victoria 125th Street. Wow. The Times printed that title? Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Sex Machine was playing at the Circus Cinema, Broadway at 49th. That was a porno theater. Yeah, they, they, they had porno ads in the Times. No, I don't think so. Well, what's the, the Sex Machine? Them. This, it's it's uh, probably a softcore movie. Oh, okay. It's probably like a European oh, softcore oh. movie. Okay, so they would advertise X but not triple X? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, and I don't think... It probably wasn't an issue until... The, Deep Throat was 72. Oh, okay. But I think mm. the Times explicitly never would run hardcore ads. But early on, they reviewed those movies and stuff, so... Well, there was a film really? festival yeah. going on at the Park Miller, which I think also must have been a porn theater. It was uh, it was called Night of Submission oh, yeah. plus Selected Shorts. Yes, yeah, that was yeah, that was like on Fifty Fifth Street or something. Yeah, uh, Patton was playing. All right, great one. Oh wait, is this was this actually? Oh yeah, it was a double feature. Get this, <laughs> it was playing all over the place as a double feature. Patton and Mash. Damn! Wow! Yeah, yeah. Those are two of my father's favorite movies. They and they kind of like embody his split personality. So I'm sure he was there. Here's a movie I've never heard of at the Fifth Avenue Cinema. Skizag, Skizag, S K E Z A G. No, don't know. Must be Czech. No idea. Must be one of those Czech movies. It's got pull quotes. A great film, outrageous, exciting, sad, devastating, an overwhelming trip. Rough and honest. Gazette. Yet, uh, I don't know who said it. Marum, somebody. I can't, I can't Milos read. Milos Forman's brother. <laughs> ABC TV's Eyewitness News says, rough and honest, yet sensitive. It should be seen by every young person in New York City, the United States, and the world. Fascinating. Man, in- instead, they were going to see Pretty Maids all in a row. Yeah. Getting messed up. Yeah. Uh, Summer of 42 was playing. No, one of my mother's favorites. Oh, there's a teen high school gossip. Yeah, it's in my book. American. Yeah. Ooh, now at a theater near you, THX 1138. I think that opened oh. the same day as uh, as Bananas and Pretty Mates. That was at the Georgetown, the Lowe's Kings, which was a huge theater down on Flappish Avenue. Gigantic, yeah. I think it's reopened, right? Yes. It's a concert venue, yes. yeah. Lowe's yeah. Metropolitan, the Oriental, and the Avalon. Now the Avalon, that was a good theater. Where was the Avalon? Because I used to—is that the one that was off right off of Flatbush, sort of around, um, not Kings Highway, but sort of in in that general? I don't area? remember where it was, but I saw a bunch of movies there, and I always liked that theater. And I can't remember where it was. Um, Lovers and Other Strangers. That's uh, a funny movie. Was playing as a double feature with Jason Robards and Catherine Ross in Fools. Well, I don't know that one. Uh. Uh, pretty maids in all in a row. Do you know what the uh, what the ad looked like? It was it's Rock uh, Hudson being held up by the pretty maids. Like instead of yeah, the football they're like players carrying, carrying like a football right. hero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Richard Burton and Raid on Rommel was playing. <laughs> I don't know that one. <laughs> um, uh, Br- Glenda Jackson in Women in Love. Was a double feature sure. with the That's music lovers. One. What's the music All lovers? Right. That's another. That's uh, Ken also Russell Ken movie. Russell. Oh, okay. Yeah. And maybe even 
Also Glenda Probably Jackson. Probably also Glenda right? Jackson, yeah. I, I never saw so, it, yeah. yeah. But, I, I mean, I have seen uh, Women in Love. Okay, there is an ad here for the Soho Theater, formerly the Evergreen, adults only. Uh, guys on the Range, plus exciting shorts. Now, come oh, on, that's, that's porn, a, That's isn't a good movie. Yeah. yeah, I would think, yeah. Uh, the Story of F. <laughs> wow. That's at the adult theater? Uh, that's at the Orleans, yeah. Well, that's an adult okay. theater. Yeah, the story of F at the at the Orleans. Yeah, yeah. a hip history call, of adult call theater for full time. <laughs> yeah. What did Al Goldstein's mag give it? Do you remember those ads? Like they wouldn't write screw. Oh, God, totally. It would say one hundred percent Al Goldstein's mag. And I remember a kid in Keensburg once saying to me, "I got Al Goldstein's mag." <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet you Al saw guys on the range. Oh yeah, yeah. And story of F. He saw it all. I'm trying to get to the TV listings page. Tell you what was on TV that day. If you were at home on the Thursday, skipping school. How could or... you be? How could you be with Skazag playing? <laughs> well, on, in uh, Aaron City of Los Angeles, I saw that Pretty Maids opened on uh, May 12th, 1971 at the Chinese Theater. Oh, so it oh, opened wow. as a completely different time, huh? Yeah, which was typical. And and on Wednesdays. Yeah, they used to open them on Wednesdays. Yeah. Goddamn, Chinese theater would be a great place to see. Uh, oh, yeah. Anime. It's all in a row. All right, the first movie at 9.30 in the morning on Channel 7, WABC in New York City. You could have seen Monkey Business with Cary Grant right. and Ginger Rogers and Marilyn Monroe. Okay. And the time says, amusing plus the kitchen sink. A bit much. <laughs> <laughs> at, hey, fuck you, buddy. At ten thirty. <laughs> Why don't you go make a movie? Yeah, exactly. Bit much. Oh yeah, yeah. At ten. Harry Grant, Marilyn Monroe. Fuck you. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. At ten thirty. Yeah, really. Uh, too much for you, huh? <laughs> ten thirty at Channel Five, WNEW, Bugles in the Afternoon from 1952 with Ray Milland, uh, Cavalry <laughs> in the West. Okay, no huh. more. Okay, no more. That's what I ate for lunch, bugles in the afternoon today. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Maybe uh, that's what the movie's about. Yeah. I'd love to see Ray Milland. Ray Milland eats a lot of corn <laughs> corn chips. Right, he puts yeah. them on his fingers. Yeah. <laughs> Dances around. He's drunk. <laughs> At 11 a.m. on Channel 9, WORTV, you could have seen Alice Adams from 1935 with Katherine Hepburn, Fred McMurray, Frank Albertson. Uh, and Hattie McDaniel. Wow. So they say, New York Times says, bygone, small town Americana, and absolutely superb start to finish with the funniest dinner scene ever, according wow. to New York Times. Sorry Alice I missed. Adams. Yeah. That person had not yeah. seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at that point. <laughs> at 12.30 on Channel 11, I'm from Missouri, 1939. Wow, that's Rachel's movie. Bob Burns, Gladys mm-hmm. George, and Gene Lockhart. At 1 p.m. on Channel 5, The Scarlet Empress with Marlena Dietrich. Um, Sexy. The great Marlena as Catherine the Great, stunningly artistic and ornate, but alas, also elephantine. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Elephantine? Who was writing these reviews? <laughs> if it's Catherine the Great, it should be equine, not elephantine. <laughs> Remember, that's the, the, the scandalous last shot of the movie. Yeah, People I know, because you saw the uncensored... Her and the horse. You saw the uncensored VHS cut that I never got to see. <laughs> that was the full horse sex scene? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Uh, also at one o'clock on Channel Nine, Lady on a Train from 1945 with Deanna mm. Durbin and Ralph Bellamy. And you mm. like them apples? That's boring. <laughs> yeah, no. So far, uh, so far, all I can think is me yeah. as a kid. Like, no, <laughs> oh, no, right. no. Yeah. Ugh. Now, where's the Godzilla movie? The four thirty, yeah, the four thirty movie on Channel Seven was part one of Some Came Running with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Uh, short on motivation, yeah, substance, but garishly engrossing. One of Miss McLean's best, so Shirley McLean. Oh, uh, all right. But there was also a 4.30 movie that day on Channel 4, NBC, which I don't think was typical. No. Uh, but they were showing That Touch of Mink with Cary Grant. Oh. It was a big Cary Grant that movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a good movie. Classic. Uh, we should say, you talk about Sinatra and uh, Dean Martin, that uh, Angie Dickinson, along with Shirley McLean, was the primary female member of the Rat Pack. Yeah. In as much as there were yeah, any primary she, female members. Yeah. Well, it's just those two. Yeah. Is she in Oceans? Uh, she is. is. She Oceans yeah. yeah. Yeah, she is. Right. Um, I'm looking at primetime now, and if the movies are fine, but this is, this is you know, 71, so things that we only ever think of as being syndicated, this was like they were first run primetime at night. Like um, um, the Flip Wilson show at 730 Loved it. Oh, yeah. Loved it as a little kid. Loved it. And, um, wait, I just saw that there was something, uh, uh, Bewitched was on, like, a, like prime time. That's that wild night. to think yeah. about that. Yeah. 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 That it made it to 71. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, to go or not to go. That is, they even like they even have bewitched. They have the episode title and they have the cast. It's crazy. To go God. or not to go. That is the question. That was the episode. If I ever like, real, if I want to think of like feel old, like I do remember the Brady Bunch in prime time. You do? Yeah. No kidding. I mean, they were like the later ones when they were like you know adults, but specifically, I remember the one where they they went a trip to go to Cincinnati because my father made the joke. Like he said, "All right, first prize is." Uh, Two weeks in Cincinnati. Uh, I, I told it backwards. Anyway, it was a good joke. <laughs> it was like, oh, it was like the prize was a week in Cincinnati, and he said, "What's that? Second prize? First prize is one day in Cincinnati." Anyway, <laughs> I go. boxed That's it. Sorry, good. Pop. It was a good no, joke. You, you got it. That's it was about joke. how lousy yeah. Cincinnati is. Sure. Yeah. Well, starting at eleven thirty at night, there's like nothing but movies happening on a Thursday night. All right, night. lay them on us. Uh, Channel oh, yeah. Five had Ten Seconds from Hell. 1959. Damn, that sounds great. Okay, now I'm perking up yeah, when please. I'm a kid. Yeah. I see that. I, I get the ball. I'm going to guess out. that's a World War II movie, though. Uh, it's post-war espionage in Germany with Jack right. Palance. Okay, uh, that's good. The Times okay. calls right. it Slipshot and Transparent. Oh, okay, I'm liking yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah, and if they don't want, like it, I'm, like, I'm staying the, up for that. And if you want yeah. some post-war competition over on Channel 11 at the same time, The Charge is Murder from 1948, post-war crime tangle. Hmm. All right, wow. And, I would have gone with Jack Palance on yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. To hell. At 1 a.m. on Channel 7, you could have watched Robbery Roman Style from 1964 <laughs> with Claudia Mori. Wow. Adriano Celentano, Gangland Warfare. See, I might have watched that because I probably would have thought something sexy was going to happen if it was Roman yeah, style. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah that's true. At one ten a.m. on Channel wait, wait, Two, is that throwing up? Is that throwing that's up Roman while you commit a robbery? Yeah, right. That's okay. that's right. Is that robbery, a robbery Roman, Roman style? style. That's yeah. The weapon you you yield is your own vomit. Oh, I stayed yeah. up and watched this movie on Channel Seven. It was so gross. They run in, they throw up on the teller, and then they rob the bank. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, at 110 on the late show was Posse from Hell with Audie Murphy. Wow. Jack- Wait, double I'm Hell, man. Too. Posse oh, from Posse Hell. Posse from Hell, 1961. Listen too. to this cast. It wasn't only Audie Murphy. It was also John Saxon and Vic Morrow. Wow. And here's the plot. John Saxon just recently lost them. Yeah. Convicts take over town. And the New York Times says, let them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, ooh. Did you know there was something rivaling The Late Show on Channel 4 called The Great Great Show? <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, no. on The Great Great Show was Invisible Stripes from 1939 with Humphrey Bogart and George Raft. That's and The so Times weird. calls it the old one-two about ex-convict, now diverting corn. Oh, I get it. Invisible Stripes. <laughs> yeah. Because they're carrying the burden of being institutionalized in prison. Now, here's something. At 1.20 a.m. on Channel 9, WOR, you could watch a taped version of President Nixon's press conference. That sounds exciting. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and at 3 a.m. On, at 3 a.m. on the Late Late Show, uh, a slight case of larceny with Mickey Rooney, Eddie Bracken, uh, comes pretty close with dandy, funny teamwork by Rooney and Bracken. Have you seen right. that one? Eddie Bracken's I good. I love Eddie Bracken, yeah. Yeah. And I, I like Mickey Rooney, but I would have been at the theater watching B.J. Lang Presents. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, at 425, there's another installment of the Late Late Show. So did they, did they do Damn. this? They did it like they did a 3 a.m. Late Late Show and a 425 Late Late That's Show. Awesome. On what channel? Channel 2. Wow. CBS. And the Late Late, I guess it should have been called the Late 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 Show, uh, was Appointment with a Shadow from 1958. George Nader, Joanna Moore, Brian Keith. And the New York Times says, alcoholic reporter snaps too. <laughs> mild, they call it. Wow, mild. Jeez. Uh, and then at 6.30 a.m., Sunrise Semester on Channel 2 and Channel 4. I used to watch that sometimes, yeah. Yeah, Education Exchange. Uh, I'd watch guys, that with you know, Lilius was... Yoga and you and, and uh, Crockett's Victory Garden. I mean, you guys didn't. Oh, Crockett's Victory Garden. I was in upstate <laughs> New York. You wouldn't get any kind of farm report, right? No. no we, we'd, we'd get the actual farm report thing. That was amazing at 6 a.m. When I first moved to Chicago, I would, you know, I was still listening to like AM radio overnight and stuff. And I would hear farm reports and I, I got a little freaked out that I was in the middle of the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this was like 17 years. It wasn't a million years ago. It was 2003. Yeah. Here would have been my night. Uh, probably a couple of years later, but at 6 p.m. on Channel 11, I would have watched Please Don't Eat the Daisies. All right. And at uh, six, the, the sitcom or yes, the movie? the sitcom. And then right. a half an hour later, I would stay with Channel 11, uh, Channel 11 at 6.30, and I would watch Beat the Clock. I love that show, yeah. And I remember watching it then, right before dinner usually. It was a, yeah. ga- it was a game show? Game show, that yeah. You had to beat the clock. I don't know what you, you had, had to do. do stuff like, on, yeah, they would like set the clock and you had to like, you know, move a bunch of boxes. And stuff. Okay. Also a great Sparks song. You got to beat the clock. You got to beat the clock. Which is referenced in the uh, Stars on 45 single. Remember that? Stars on 45. Sure. At the very beginning, it's the, it's the only like contemporary song in it that they that they reference in it it goes you got to beat the clock you got to beat the clock and then it becomes uh you can party let's disco love that disco sound yeah, uh, uh. stars on 45 yeah. feel them burning in your mind 
We can work it we out. We can work it out. Remember, Remember twist, twist and shout. And shout. Something, 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 yeah. Petey was a That's pit the only bull. part that I remember. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. This think, has been uh, yeah. thorough. So Hell we will yeah. go back to walking through the movie, but I, I think we worked it out this time. So Yeah, it was great. No, you did a great yeah. improv version of walking through the movie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You don't so, even need to take yeah. notes, Mike. Mr. Lee, I appreciate it very much. Aaron, anytime. Guys, what a, yeah. what a treat. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. Our next show, Aaron, is, uh, I think are we finally, the one we keep pushing off is Alan McDonough. That's who we're going to finally have next week on Crackpot punk Cinema. Show. The L.A. Punk Show. And uh, and then after that, on 70 movies, uh, we saw in the 70s, will be two-minute warning finally. Wow, we're, we're really taking care of family business on these podcasts finally. Yes. You better. Clearing the you decks. better be. Yeah. As a fan, I'm angry how you keep delaying <laughs> Don't Where do you do find that. out who the guest is on... Uh, I was, gonna, I was saying, like, five people are going to be so thrilled that this guy is our guest. Is Aaron week. one of them? Does he know the guest? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aaron was a big fan of our guest, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was a former publishing partner of mine in the early 90s. I've been thinking about our guest, and I it's so crazy what an influence he was in my, <laughs> in my oh, childhood. Oh, please, yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to be monstrous. Yeah. So, uh, all right, well... Uh, Thanks, everybody. Uh, Pretty maids all in a row. Ben, you have a way of taking us out. (laughs) Yeah, fuck you, Bill de Blasio. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. All right. Good night, everybody. Beautiful. Thanks, guys.